Welcome everybody to another episode of the Unreasonable Art of Living podcast. I'm your host, Gerhard Molin, and as always, enjoy the music. Yeah, welcome back, welcome back to episode number 16. And I think I should use, should use this button way more often. A round of applause for you. Yes. As always, I hope you're doing fine wherever you are right now. And thank you for listening and deciding to, yeah, to choose to spend your time listening to this podcast episode. I really appreciate it. So thank you so much. What an exciting week, I must say, last week. As always, um, there were I got received some really beautiful feedback for um, episode 15. And actually, I would like to start with the recap about episode number 15, The Courage to be Disliked, which talks about Adlerian psychology. And one um, podcast listener reached out to me and I've said, like, it's a beautiful conversation where it's like the importance that we you know, like we can't deny trauma. And I think I need to clarify this. I think Adlerian psychology doesn't deny the, the real impact one can have based on like childhood trauma, you know, severe trauma. And Adlerian psychology <clears throat> just differentiate here to Freud's approach that even though, you know, there was trauma in childhood, there's some can be quite severe we can give new meaning to this trauma so this trauma doesn't define you for the rest of your life but yet and it's very important like it's not something if you have experienced like very severe trauma abuse in your childhood it takes a lot of time to heal and really professional work it's not something you can just do like that and actually just that week i stumbled upon this uh term I'm just laughing because like, I, I'm, I always forget that I, I'm recording this and <laughs> doing random things in my face. <laughs> um, recording, the video recording. And there's something, a concept called adverse childhood experiences, which was discovered in 1985 um, by, let me just check his name, by Dr. Vincent Felitti. And he was the head of... Um, the Department for Preventive Medicine and Kaiser Permanent in San Diego in California. And they had a quite successful weight loss program. And even though it was quite successful and it seemed like people would, you know, like reach the goal of weight loss and they would work with obese, severe obese people. And they still had a kind of like 50% attrition rate. So like almost half of the patients would just like drop out and disappear. And then they looked into it and they kind of like discovered that most of the people who dropped out, they had a really severe childhood trauma experiences. And they didn't know, they just like, you know, like, of course, this trauma was so severe, they would just hide it, of course, because like it's a very traumatic experience. And our subconscious brain does a really good job at kind of helping us to forget those things. But yet, those traumas and experiences still can have a huge impact on our behavior and how we think and how we do things. And by the way, this uh, the book I, uh, I found it in was called Cured, Strengthen Your Immune System and Heal Your Life. Really good book. I didn't read all of it, just like chapters. 
And they talked about like exactly this adverse childhood experiences and what they, it's not about like the discovery of this phenomena, but how often, especially in modern Western medicine, we don't acknowledge those huge impacts we can have in our childhood. Um, that what impact it can have on our behavior in our adult life. And we don't even aware of it. And it's very hard to actually get into these experiences and kind of like reveal them. So yeah, very important, very important um, to really also highlight those things are real and need to be acknowledged. And it's not something like you can just do on your own if you have experienced those things in your life. So really appreciate this conversation. And as always, I think at this point, thank you so much for all the feedback, all the support. If you, you know, the ratings on Spotify, Apple podcast, and um, yeah, and I, I think I mentioned this before, the most important thing is actually when I produce an episode like this and people reach out and this leads to a beautiful conversation, either because I always learn something um, from those conversations. So I really appreciate it. So thank you so much. And if you haven't done yet so and you want to support that podca this podcast, uh, yeah, give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Uh, because, yeah, this helps the algorithm to recommend the podcast also to people beyond kind of like my social media reach. <laughs> And as of lately, I also have a YouTube channel, The Unreasonable Art of Living. And yeah, subscribe, comment there, even though it's not my primary focus. Actually, I just upload the videos because I'm starting to video record them to produce short real content as well, which I can share. And I found them quite cool. Um, so yeah, the YouTube channel is just going to be there and uh let's see i think it's funny and um if you have if you want to you can watch the whole episode with my face you can see my face and what i do <laughs> so yeah thank you so much and this week has been quite quite beautiful so my lumi score let me check is a 4.0 it's a higher than the previous one which was 3.5 and the main reasons was so i think they were really just highs this week um I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago. I announced that we actually start working on a Lumi research paper with my friend Mika at, uh, I hope I pronounced it correct, Ryoka University. <laughs> Let me Google quickly. Uh, in Tokyo. No, no, I forgot the name. <laughs> Let me... Google quite quickly, you are experiencing again Gerhard not being prepared. <laughs> He is Ah, oh, oh, I found the name. Rikyo University. That's the correct name. He is a professor at the Rikyo University in Tokyo. And uh, last April I visited him in Tokyo and we kind of like adapted the Lumi method to for a learn learning journal for his students and we started to work, write a research paper about it to introduce the whole method and kind of like lay the foundation for further research into this so we might if this gets accepted the paper uh yeah maybe do a in the next year in the next semester kind of like a um, proper study how this method can help students to develop develop awareness and um overall improve their yeah, self-awareness and well-being and kind of like break the boundaries between classroom and real world so to say and this week we submitted the paper to the journal so now we're waiting for the reviews and regardless um 
so far I really enjoyed working with him. So it was such a pleasure to work on this paper. And yeah, this week also like uh, another highlight was with my sister, uh, Gisti. She was in Vienna and we met up for coffee and we had a beautiful conversation. We also actually started game design together. We did the masters together. And we brainstormed about Lumi and she had a brilliant idea and she was like, Hey, what if if you know like remember Tamagotchis? I said, yes, of course. And she's like, what if we can like could introduce kind of like an avatar or kind of like a Tamagotchi in a way that would represent visually the well-being or like your check-ins in Lumi? And you could see, yeah, you can like take care of this. It's kind of like a representation of your inner inner world, and you could you could make it very beautiful and and playful. And I was like, this is an amazing idea, and she now will work on a concept for that. I'm really excited about this. She really inspired me because I remember this day I was a bit, yeah, not, uh, you know, sometimes you feel like you have to kind of like keep motivating yourself and she really inspired me and ignited a lot of energy. And so it would be beautiful to work with my sister on Lumi and get her beautiful imagination and creativity um, kind of like become part of the Lumi app itself. All right. That was my week. It was a beautiful week. And this week's topic, um, something I wanted to talk about for quite a while already, and it is how Finland, in a sense, was a very spiritual and yeah important phase in my life in many aspects. It allowed me to grow, to transform, and to heal. And in many ways, things... Tea break? <laughs> many aspects I learned about in Finland, about myself, and... The first thing I want to talk about actually how Finland had taught me to live in the present and how silence can like enable this. The, the silence you experience when you're in Finland in the most beautiful way. And to warm you up for this episode, I found another beautiful video by Ellen Watts called Live Fully Now. It's four minutes and yeah, enjoy it. It's a little warm up to today's topic. One of the conventions by which we tend to be fooled more than almost any other is time. And for all human beings, time is a matter of extraordinary importance. And perhaps this is one of the principal ways in which we differ from animals. Because man has been called a time-binding animal. That is to say, a creature who is vividly aware of the fact that his life moves, as it were, along a line from the past through the present and into the future. Animals apparently live pretty much moment by moment. They don't appear to have very strong memories, but because man has a strong memory, he is able to bear the past in mind and as it were, cast it forward into visions of the future based upon what has happened in the past. And therefore, although this facility gives man the most extraordinary ability to plan his life, to prepare for future eventualities. At the same time, there is a very heavy price which he pays for it, and especially if he takes this ability too seriously. In other words, if he doesn't realize that the true reality in which he lives is the present moment now. For example, the animal probably doesn't concern itself very much with problems of future disease, death or starvation and things of that kind. 
if, another an if an animal sees another dead animal lying around, I don't suppose he thinks to himself, well, one day that's going to happen to me. Rather, he just sees a dead animal, sniffs it, sees if it's, whether it's good to eat, and wanders away. But for human beings, it's entirely different. Because we actually spend most of our time and a great deal of our emotional energy living in time which is not here, living in an elsewhere which is not concretely real. So much so that although we may be quite comfortable and happy in our present circumstances, if there is not a guarantee, not a promise of a good time coming tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, we are at once unhappy even in the midst of pleasure and affluence. And so we develop a kind of chronic anxiety about time. We want to be sure more and more because of our sensitivity to the feeling of time. We want to be sure more and more that our future is assured. And for this reason, the future becomes of more importance to most human beings than the present. And in this sense, we are hooked, taken in by a maya, because it is of very little use to us to be able to control and plan the future unless we are capable at the same time of living totally in the present. And so, when in civilized societies we spend so much of our time living for the future, we become very much like those celebrated donkeys, you know, that have uh, a carrot fastened on a stick that's tied to the neck, you know, behind here, and it comes over and there's the carrot dangling in front of them. And they pursue it, pursue it, pursue it, but can never reach it. And so in exactly the same way, it's that way with us. My goodness, don't you remember when you went first to school? And you went to kindergarten. And in kindergarten, the idea was to push along so that you could get into first grade. And then push along so that you could get into second grade, third grade, and so on, going up and up. And then you went to high school and this was a great transition in life. And now the pressure is being put on. You must get ahead. You must go up the grades and finally be good enough to get to college. And then when you get to college, you're still going step by step, step by step, up to the great moment in which you're ready to go out into the world. And then when you get out into this famous world, comes the struggle for success in profession or business. And again, there seems to be a ladder before you, something for which you're reaching all the time. And then, suddenly, when you're about 40 or 45 years old, in the middle of life, you wake up one day and say, Huh? I've arrived. And by Jove, I feel pretty much the same as I've always felt. In fact, I'm not so sure that I don't feel a little bit cheated. Because, you see, you were fooled. You were always living for somewhere where you aren't. And while, as I said, it is of tremendous use for us to be able to look ahead in this way and to plan, there is no use planning for a future, which when you get to it and it becomes a present, you won't be there. You'll be living in some other future which hasn't yet arrived. And so in this way, one is never able actually to inherit and enjoy the fruits of one's action. Yeah, quite, quite powerful. Um, I will link the full video again in the show notes and why it's so fitting for today's episode because I would really want to talk about like how I 
really struggled up until arriving in Helsinki to understand what does it even mean to live in the present moment? What does it really mean? And to feel it. And for those who know me personally, I have a, you know, my note, I showed it to the camera now. So it's worth checking out the video. I have a tattoo on my right arm called Past, Future, Now. And where past and future are crossed out and only now exists and afterwards it's kind of like a spaceship. <laughs> and it's um, funny enough, when I think about it, I have a few tattoos and two with kind of like a meaning, a message. It always felt like I had to somehow, like I've, there's a lesson to be learned in life and my subconscious really wanted me to learn this lesson and I always felt like I had to, yeah, to do it on my body to so I don't forget it and this means also like since I kind of like I've been more and more in touch with myself again and really listening being able to listen to myself also my need to kind of like feel like oh I need to kind of like do this and that has completely disappeared so it was almost like uh yeah my subconscious my heart intuition telling to tell me something I was like please write this down so you don't forget and I'll give you a little like idea like how I lived or had lived until I arrived to Helsinki. So, you know, when I moved away from Austria at the age of 21, I was simply was, you know, that it was a strong inner feeling within me. I had to just get out of here. I had to get out. I don't know why, but there's something out there that I need to explore. There's something out there that really um, I had to find and help me to see. And more than ever, this big, the big part of this journey I'm convinced that something out there was Finland. Finland that really helped me to find to myself, to see myself, to learn who I am about myself, more about myself, and to heal. And to be quite honest, up until Finland, you know, I'd lived in Canada, Germany, UK, Spain, Australia. And most choices, except Canada and Spain, actually, most choices were more driven by wishful fantasies how I imagined these countries would be and how they would enable a certain lifestyle and how I would live there. You know, I had dreams about being, I was like, you know, London, cool city. I need to be in London and study there. And, or then move to Australia, you know, it's like Australian lifestyle. And, you know, you have these fantasies in your head, how life would be when once you're there and all your troubles, all your struggles, all your things you kind of like think you kind of like, deal with gonna be solved once you are there or that's what you think so most of those things i made choices based on wishful thinking i was more living in the future and future scenarios than actually really being in the present moment and really feeling myself and understanding who i am and where i don't want to go and make my decision based on that so again making an authentic decision rather than a decision based on a wishful outcome so how did I end up actually in Finland? So it was just about, before I moved to Finland, I moved to, I had lived in Melbourne in the year 2015. And I moved there back in the day with my partner to actually start a PhD in game-based learning uh, because I did a master's degree in game design in London. And then um, I felt like I need to do a PhD. And uh, it was not enough. I kinda, it was more important where I do it. I was like, maybe the country, Australia and Melbourne, you know. And even though like you pay for PhDs there, it's like, I have to go there. I mean, there was at uh, the university, the RMIT back then, 
uh, the Chi Lab, which was focused on gamification across all domains. So that means how to apply game design and game research or game thinking uh, beyond entertainment. So it was a quite cool lab. And I thought like, yeah, this is it. I need to go there. And well, you know, I moved there. I was in Melbourne and things turned out quite differently. Very unexpectedly, to be honest. I did. I thought like, you know, I'm going to be in Melbourne, maybe, you know, move there um, forever. And it was a struggle from the day I arrived there. Uh, a, it was hard to get kind of like funding for my, or grants for my PhD. Actually, back in the day, I think it was, I started, I, um, before Kickstarter was a thing, I designed a crowdfunding campaign <laughs> for my PhD. <laughs> that was amazing. I, still, I, I wish I could share the homepage because I loved it. I created a homepage and I gamified the whole homepage so people could find puzzles and had to solve you know little things to kind of like unlock things and people could donate kind of like to fund my research in game-based learning. I, I found it amazing. But I remember I launched the campaign, actually was able to fund the first semester, but the university, there was someone at the university who had issues with me crowdfunding my research. And I found that it was so odd. So I had to stop the campaign. And fast forward, also like the Chi lab I was in, this department for is focused on game-based learning, kind of shut down um, that year as well. Uh, there was issues with the university itself. They didn't get any more funding or like, I don't know. There was politics involved. I don't care. I did not care back then, but then I felt like, okay, this is not working out. And to be honest, I really hit rock bottom at that time because, you know, you move there with all your hopes. You leave Europe behind. You move to Melbourne. It's like, you know, this is it. But then like eight months, nine months in, you're like, oh no, this is not it. What next? And at that point, you know, I still don't know. I really don't know. I try to remember how, but I don't remember how I ended up at ended up Googling the University of Helsinki and I found the Playful Learning Center. And the Playful Learning Center was actually quite cool. It was at the University of Helsinki run by my supervisor, Christina Kumpulainen. Um, oh man, what, what a person. I owe her, her so much. And the Playful Learning Center was co-created with Rovio, kind of like a mobile game company and the university to research playful learning. And I was like, wow. And completely different approach. I mean, it's not about like games itself, but just the first time I also like understood this. Okay, there's research and pedagogical research behind playful learning. What does it even mean? Then looked into more and I was like, I saw like, wow, how far ahead Finland is in terms of education, their mindset back then. And yeah, I reached out to Christina and um, it was all effortless, to be honest. I got accepted. I got a PhD position at the University of Helsinki starting January 2016. So, um, and it was for free, you know, Finland educations, uh, universities didn't have um, tuition fees. And I got accepted and yeah, I mean, still, it was a transition, it was a quite uh, tough time because yeah, Melbourne, me and my partner back then, we had to accept, okay, right, this is not it. We had to move back to Europe. Then I spent the Europe, uh, spent the Europe, <laughs> spent the winter in Europe and also this relationship ended, unfortunately, and um, because we chose 
both realized both have to kind of like focus on ourselves and go separate ways. And so it was, yeah, quite a, quite a tough transition, to be honest. And then, <laughs> so I had to burp a bit. <laughs> and then it was January 2016. And it was, before I moved to Helsinki, actually, I felt like I need to kind of like get out of Vienna a bit. And I went to a surf camp in Gran Canaria in Spain. And there, <laughs> randomly, I met a Finnish couple. And it was the first Finnish people I've ever met. And it was the first time I was introduced to kind of like the Finnish Finnish lifestyle and Finnish people, like the humbleness, the humor, great sense of humor and their honesty. And it was so random that, you know, I would travel there in January and meet a Finnish couple and they, we became friends. And also they picked me up end of January from the airport. And it was my introduction to Finland. And I still remember the first night landing in Helsinki. It was a stormy, snowy night. I've never seen so much snow in a city. It was like one meter of snow everywhere. But also like, the city was so beautifully lit. There was like so many beautiful lights everywhere and like the sparkle in the in the sky and in the air because of like there was snow, puffy snow everywhere and like the lights reflecting from the snow flakes and it was magical. I still see it. It was a beautiful first night in Helsinki. It was mesmerizing. And for the first time, I remember I was taking a walk in the evening and there was like this silence this complete silence, you would walk, you hear your your steps, how they would, you know, crunch the freshly fallen snow and you would just breathe in this clear, fresh, cool air. And there was no strong wind, just snowflakes falling down gently from the sky and touching your skin and your face. And you just, I, I don't know, I get goosebumps thinking about that. And this stillness, this silence, silence. <laughs> and yeah that was the introduction to my to Helsinki and I think then the stillness in, in, to, to Helsinki and I'm still it was still a rough time you know I arrived in Helsinki it was in completely I didn't know anyone in the city um, I didn't have any partner who would travel with me so it was completely by myself on top of that it was uh, there was you know the Native languages, of course, Finnish and Swedish, and um, but luckily in Finland people speak so well English, like almost um, narrative, uh, narrative, <laughs> native level English <laughs> narrative. <laughs> mm. By the way, delicious tea again, same as last week. Chai, turmeric, love it. My favorite at the moment. Yeah, so I moved to then Helsinki, and. For the first time, not just also like with inter by interacting with people, the Finnish people, but just by being there, I was introduced to this stillness, to the silence, and which created like a space to suddenly hear the insane chatter that goes on in your head, and also like, and this is not just me. Whoever I kind of like take with me to Helsinki, you feel like this instant. Um, cooling down and relaxation of your nervous system because there's no bombardment of instant gratifications and because like the people it's like a different kind of lifestyle it's slower it's much more grounded it's much more humble and this no distraction really forced me to become very aware of what's happening in my mind 
and it was actually that time, it was in the first six months where I attended the Zen Center in Helsinki and started to meditate for the first time in my life, to take it really seriously. So that was now seven and a half years ago. And I still remember there was like, oh yeah, I think I mentioned this in previous episodes, you know, like my first experience with meditating uh, was quite, I think, maybe <laughs> quite insane because you... If you've never done meditation before and you go to a sense center, so the sense session, they're quite intense. It's like two times 25 minutes or sometimes two times 30 minutes back to back. And wow, I remember this. You know, you sit there and I was the first time meditating. You close your eyes and you, you're you told to kind of like focus on your breath. And whenever you breathe in, you count one. And when you breathe out, you count to two and you count up, it, up until 10. Whenever you lose kind of like get lost in your thoughts you start again and just that was so hard for me it was almost impossible to get to 10 because i would get so easily distracted and this i, I think i remember i was like i had to put so much effort into meditation i you know almost like at home i started sweating because i was so insane to just be aware of what is happening in your mind once you start looking at it and the stillness really allowed me to become aware of that. And I lived in the first three to four years in the south part of Helsinki called Eira, a beautiful district. And I remember the, I think the first year, there was one spot in particular. I always walked in um, in the evenings or on weekends. Um, there was a bench by the water. And in front of this bench, there was an art installation and it was kind of like you would see two people from the back facing the ocean, the horizon. One person or like one person was bigger, taller than the other one. Actually, I will post a picture because I still have it um, on my blog post and on Instagram so you understand what how it looked like. It was so beautiful. And I would sit there uh, on this bench, mostly for coffee and just take in this stillness and there was something about it that really helped me to heal. There was like this looking at the horizon, looking at the ocean and seeing this art installation of two people complete in stillness sitting there and just enjoying the moment. And the art installation called was called Onni. And Onni in Finnish means happiness. I'm just getting goosebumps uh, thinking about that moment. And it was for the first time that... I thought about happiness consciously. What is happiness? What I thought is happiness and what caused suffering for me up until that point, it was this always living in the future, in future scenarios, in ideal future places without but forgetting to live in the present moment. To be always somewhere else but never here. And this became so clear to me. I still remember that there were moments I would sit there and cry. and But it was healing. It was beautiful. It were tears of joy, tears of healing. And understanding that something along the line wanted me to go to Finland. There was something like, hey, you're not ready yet. 
go to Finland. Find yourself. Understand stillness. Understand what it means to live in the present moment. And this was also like the, the year where tattoo got the tattoo, um, past, future, now, where past and future is crossed out and only now, in a sense, exists. Because yeah, there's always has been and always will. There's, there's no past. There's only a past to actually up until the point we can remember. And even that is actually kind of like screwed, 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 not screwed. <laughs> not true because like we know that our memories are always mixed and there's always narrative telling involved. And there's no future. The future has not yet come. The, the only thing that really exists is this very moment. And even as I speak, it already has happened. And it was then actually that this transition happened in many aspects. It also happened to transition to realize all oh, my pursuit to, to pursue a PhD um, was based on a fantasy. It was based on an ideal image of myself to, I need this doctor title. I need to be a PhD. And I need to research this first before I can do that. Because I always, my, my idea was to do a PhD and then like based on my findings, I can start a company. I was like, looking back and also like actually someone tried to tell me this and I, I couldn't hear it. it was my supervisor in Melbourne back then he was like he was actually from Germany he was a super nice guy um, Stefan Stefan Kreuter Professor Stefan Kreuter he said like you know why don't you just start your company right now because like you spend so much money on this PhD program and you could spend the money on your company but I was, you know, ignore, ignorant back then. I was like, no, I, I want to do this PhD. It's important. I need to do this first. And then at the University of Helsinki, and I think it was beautiful to work with Christina Kumpulain. I was like, you know, with all the people, they were just so humble and so nice. And, you know, I even published a book chapter on the role of the teacher in game-based learning. But I realized I don't enjoy the process of the PhD. I don't enjoy research itself i want to just do things and go out there and create and be practical i i mean i just see the importance of the science and the theory behind it but i'm not a guy it's like i need to sometimes just create something and see what is there we don't need to wait for sometimes science to back it up i would like to create something then see what's the impact on it and that was my transition to allow me Except like, oh, there's an entrepreneurial spirit in me. And it was like Finland itself where entrepreneurship was quite differently lived. And I remember it's such, the coincidence were insane. Just as this year I started a PhD at the Playful Learning Center, just that year, in the same half a year, an accelerator was installed at the same university, ex-edu, um, which would was aiming to bridge, kind of like bring research and entrepreneurship together to kind of like focus on ed tech companies, so educational tech companies. And this, they launched that year and it was, wow. It's like life just kind of like tried to show me like go that way. And it was through that. First, I just worked with them together through as a researcher to kind of like help startups to, startups to uh, understand, you know, play for learning, help them with game-based game based learning, gamification. And suddenly, like, oh, maybe there's something was started tickling me. It's like, 
I want, I want to start a company. I want to start what, what I'm waiting for. And it was that year, same year, I think November, where I started my very first company, Unserious. Uh, and I will talk more about this in the next episode because there's not a le- big learning in this whole entrepreneur, in, her, in the whole startup uh, journey about myself. And I'm so grateful for allowing all the people I've met during my time in Finland, especially the very, very first year, that laid the foundation to allow me to really discover myself by providing stillness and the room to listen to myself and my thoughts and suddenly realize what is wishful thinking and what is actually aligned with myself. And you know, the thing that's so important to understand, I think that's also what the Ellen Watts video kind of like highlighted. There's a reason why we can envision futures. There's a reason for that. There's nothing wrong about it. So being able to see possible futures is what makes us humans so great. We can envision things and turn this as fuel to create things in the present moment. And that's the thing. It is about being able to see possible futures, but at the same time to live in the present moment and manifest these visions through actions in the here and now. And I started to learn to be and how to use this magical device called mind, heart, soul. This was the start of the whole journey. Because yeah, it's so important. There's nothing wrong about thinking about the past or the future. But after all, it took enorm because it took enormous energy to get to develop this magical brain in our in our head. <laughs> it's a fantastic device. Yet for most of us, we have not read the manual. We come to this world without reading the manual, how to use this magical device. And let me think about you. I mean, like, ask you, when you buy a new device, like an iPhone or technical device, you would like to learn as fast as possible how to use it. But somehow we humans have missed to kind of like teach how to use our magical device properly that doesn't cause suffering. Because only when we understand how to kind of like see the mind, the heart and the soul aligned as a team, we can really utilize so much out of it. We can envision futures, but at the same time, don't forget to live in the moment, which is the only moment that exists. And have this link between future and present moment, understand what is actually wishful thinking or in a fantasy and what is authentic What is based on, yeah, ignorance, that means fear, anxiety, hopes, desires, lust. And what is based on mindfulness? And what I talk about mindfulness is what is based on awareness, aware, being aware of like, what is your true nature and what is it trying to tell you? And kind of like coin this into the present moment and really make use of it. Mm-hmm. it's so funny because like you know <laughs> we live in a world where we know we're, what's the name of galaxy 74 and we have this information but we don't know where we are like we as a person we're here 
in this moment. It's fascinating. All we have to just see is like, hey, who is in there? Oh, it's me. <laughs> we are here. And what can I do with this? Mm. So that was the first episode about Finland. And it was for me how stillness in the room that it provided, the space for stillness, allowed me to become aware of my inner world and to suddenly st start listening Oh wow, what, what is here actually based on just wishful thinking and what is actually based on my authentic self? And it was a beautiful journey and I'm so grateful for all the people I've met in Finland, especially the first year and most, yeah, all of them actually, they're still part of my life. They have become great friends, beautiful friends. So I own Finland so much and it will always be, yeah, my home of choice, so to say. Mm -hmm. And before I end, there's something I want to read to you. It's from, from the book, um, Old Path, White Clouds. And there's Buddha teaching about what it means to live in the present moment. And I'm going to read to you now. And let's take, take some calming background music. All right. Let's go. Life can only take place in the present moment. If we lose the present moment, we lose life. This is the better way to live alone. He asks, what is, it meant, what is meant by pursuing the past, past? To pursue the past means to lose yourself in thoughts about what you looked like in the past, what your feelings were then, what rank and position you held, what happiness or suffering you experienced then. Giving rise to such thoughts entangles you in the past. So what is meant by losing yourself in the future? To lose yourself in the future means to lose yourself in thoughts about the future. You imagine hope, fear or worry about the future, wondering what you will look like, what your feelings will be, whether you will have happiness or suffering. Giving rise to such thoughts entangles you in the future. So, return to the present moment in order to be in direct contact with life and to see life deeply. If you cannot make direct contact with life, you cannot see deeply. Mindfulness enables you to return to the present moment. But if you're enslaved by desires and anxieties or what is happening in the present, you will lose your mindfulness and you will not be truly present to life. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. By the way, amazing book as well. Still reading it, so I will do another episode about it very soon. And this is it, episode 16. Um, stillness is the key. What Finland taught me about living in the present moment. I hope you enjoyed it and with that I hope you too can find happiness in the present moment and I wish you a wonderful day and until next week. <laughs>